Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 30th, 2021, including the initiative called the Phone-A-Friend card, Marvel's Avengers is coming to Game Pass, Netflix joins the mass consolidation of the games industry party, and more. Guys, I'm having an existential crisis at the top of the show this week. Let me let you know what's going on, okay? So, I almost recorded this week's podcast yesterday. As many of you know, the podcast gets recorded every Wednesday night and then goes up Thursday morning. The reason why I do this, I always want to have a really short record to live time period because I want there to be as little room as possible for big news to break between when I do the show and when it goes live. But this week, I was so tempted to record the show on Tuesday night because it's shaping up to be a pretty like regular to slowish news week. And it's a big, big week over at the theme parks. You see Disney's getting ready to do their 50th anniversary. And tonight, Wednesday night, Epcot is debuting their brand new nighttime spectacular fireworks show. And of course, being, you know, there's only two things I'm a fan of in this world. Xbox slash Mountain Dew slash Taco Bell and Disney theme parks. And of those Disney theme parks, Epcot is by far my, it's where my heart's at. So... I thought about recording the show last night on Tuesday night and then having it go live on Thursday, you know, no big deal. And then tonight I could go to Epcot and see the debut of the brand new fireworks show. But I thought, you know what? If I decide to do that, knowing my luck on Wednesday evening at the time I would normally record the show, there's going to be some big stories going to be like breaking Xbox has bought Exxon Mobil and has turned them into the largest game developer. Yeah, that's right. Everything Exxon Mobil does will now be coming to Game Pass. Exxon Mobil's oil, their gasoline, Game Pass exclusive. And I'll be like, fuck, I need to get to a computer and record this right now. And it's going to be a whole thing. So I decided, you know, you got to make some sacrifices for the show. So I, I did I did the normal schedule. I said, I'll go see Epcot later. Be a big boy. And now I'm having a little bit of fear of missing out here because I'm recording the show and... Lo and behold, nothing fancy happened today. Now, as a reminder, that segues nicely into something big that is happening for Xbox this week, which is Thursday, the day the show does go live, Xbox will actually be uh, a part of Tokyo Game Show. So while they have announced that they will be there, there will be announcements. I'm not expecting anything big. Last year they were there. They mostly just talked about Flight uh, Simulator coming to Japan and things like that. So I'm not expecting anything too noteworthy, which is why I didn't delay this week's show. But again, maybe just for having this conversation to begin with, I am tempting fate and putting it out there to where uh, this show goes live tomorrow and then big massive news happens at TGS and then I'm left in this situation of like, well, fuck, I didn't see my Epcot fireworks and the show got fucked over by a big news story that, hap- that happened right after I recorded. So fingers crossed <laughs> this should go smooth. But with that really anecdotal and non-important, <laughs> non-sequitur, I guess, out of the way, guys, welcome to week 121 of the Xbox on podcast. We do have a couple little things I want to tick off at the top of the show here before we jump into the comments as we tend to do. First things first, I want to give you a little a little update. I'm not doing two minutes of follow me on Twitch, so 
real quick, just a little update for those of you who do follow and watch the Twitch stream. Originally, when I set up the Twitch, the idea was I'll do Mondays and Thursdays as stream days. Mondays will be community game nights where we can play whatever you guys want to play together as a, as a, as a community. Thursdays will be I stream whatever the fuck I want to watch, and you can show up and watch if you want and chat or not. It's up to you. Well, we've been streaming regularly without fail, haven't missed a day. The only thing the only thing I've done outside the schedule of streaming is streamed more than is scheduled. So I just want to give myself a little pat on the back there. I haven't missed a Monday, haven't missed a Thursday, but I have added on a couple of uh, weekend streams and Friday night streams here and there. So really proud of my ability to stick to the schedule. But the thing is, now that this stream has kind of settled into its groove, we've got our more or less regular audience kind of tuning in. I've noticed that Community Game Nights is kind of like this forced... Thing that's kind of antiquated it, it made a lot of sense for the inaugural streams but now that we're doing this regularly people you know it, there is no big need for everyone to show up on monday night so we can all play black ops or halo together or whatever the case may be instead it's just kind of turned into like forcibly playing multiplayer games just for the sake of doing it so i've made the decision to change the streaming a little bit it's still going to be mondays and thursdays at eight o'clock but i did want to let you know that now the schedule is tentatively, we're going to stream whatever the fuck, regardless of the day. It doesn't have to be multiplayer. It doesn't have to be community stream. It can. It doesn't have to be whatever. It, because I'm, I'm running into an issue of not having enough free time to just play games. And therefore, I'm getting on the on the, on the the podcast every week and being like, what I've been playing. It's like, well, not much because all my free time goes to streaming or, you know, other like doing the podcast and stuff. So I've decided for the interest of giving myself the ability to play the games in my free time that I want to play and keep up with, I'm changing to just a whatever the fuck I want to stream kind of stream all the time. Now, that doesn't mean we won't do community streams. When Halo Infinite comes out, of course, we're going to stream the fuck out of that and play it together. If you guys want to have a night where we play, you know, Call of Duty Zombies or Halo Multiplayer or some, you know, Master Chief Collection, whatever the hell it may be, I'm more than happy to do that with you guys. I, I, I enjoy playing with you guys. I enjoy having those streams. I just don't want to marry myself to a, a specific schedule like that, um, especially if it's not always serving, you know, you guys, the audience, because there's not always an audience asking for that. If I'm just if I'm just being honest, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the, res the response and the support for the stream so far, but I'm not going to sit here and like try to lie about what it is you know sometimes we got 12 people in the stream and we're all hanging out and we're all playing halo and chatting it up and some nights we're just playing black ops a multiplayer for the sake of doing a community game night but there's only like three people there and, and you know nothing's really going on so i don't want to force this thing to be something that it's not if it's just unnatural and it's not really what people respond to i'd rather just do my own thing and and let people kind of come and go as they please if that makes sense so just want to put that out there um, also, as a reminder, be, for, be sure to follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash lightningmcstream. We have been having a lot of fun over there. I just want to open it up to be a little more, you know, just a little more open-ended so we can do what feels good rather than some rigid schedule of what I have to play rather than, you know, what I want to play. Of course, your feedback, your recommendations, and all that are always very, very welcome. If you have suggestions as to how we can make the stream better, always open to that. But with that out of the way, this is a podcast, not a stream. Let's jump in to some kind of news stories that we're just going to touch on, little updates, corrections, things like that to address. And that before we get into the comments, the first thing I want I want to point out is last Thursday was it Thursday Friday? Nintendo held a Nintendo Direct where they announced the casting for the Super Mario Bros. movie that is being currently under under development, under in production from Illuminations, who you may know as the guys that do the Despicable Me movies, the guys that do the uh, the movie Sing and its upcoming highly anticipated sequel, Sing 2. The this these yes, these are the guys that do The Secret Life of Pets. So yeah, 
this uh, this A tier animation studio has been granted access to the premier video game franchise of all time, Super Mario Brothers. And yes, they are they're making that movie and this week, this past week. We learned about who the voice cast are behind this new original animated feature from Illuminations R. And uh, I just want to I, I know this is an Xbox podcast, but I just want to let you guys know. I'm just I'm not going to react. I'm just I'm just telling you how it is. Chris Pratt, the guy from Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy, will be playing Mario. So expect basically Lego movie from him. We got Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. We'll be playing Luigi. Anya Taylor. Joy will be playing Princess Peach. I don't, I'm not sure who she is. No offense. Bowser will be played by Jack Black, who you may know from uh, School of Rock. Seth Rogen will be smoking pot as Donkey Kong. And Toad will be voiced by Michael Keegan Key, who is, of course, most well known for Toy Story 4. Just kidding. And Fred Armisen, uh, who kind of gives me an aneurysm every time I see his face, will be playing Cranky Kong because God is not real and we all die someday. So just want to put that out there. That's the casting for the Mario movie. Still think the Sonic movie was that dumb? All right. Another thing I wanted, actually Xbox related thing I want to just say real quick. Now, I saw a lot of this story circulating with this uh, this little bit here that Xbox is reducing the price of Xbox Live Gold and Game Pass in certain territories. Namely, this is like, it's like Israel, China, and I forget where else. I think it was like Peru or something like that. And I just want to just say this is, I, I'm not going to sit here and make this a main topic of discussion and, and go over this in depth. I don't know the reason for doing this, but I feel like a lot of people are overanalyzing and going a little too nuts about this story. I saw a lot of people like, oh my God, they need to lower the price here in the States and in Canada and, and, in, and, in, and in Europe and blah, 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 and all these things. And and talking about how this is a, a sign of things to come and Xbox Live needs to go away today and all this shit. And I, I feel like people were making a story out of nothing. This may, there's a lot of things this could be. These are mar- These are potentially markets they see a lot of room for growth and therefore they can reduce the price um, if they can saturate a market and maybe they'll find bigger market penetration in doing that, at, at least the research suggests. Or maybe these are markets that don't respond well to the Xbox brand. So they're trying to lower the barrier of entry to, to entice more people to subscribe to try and get a foothold in these countries. Whatever the case may be, I just want to make it clear that this is not like a groundbreaking, oh my God, keep an eye out. Game Pass's pricing structure is going to change dramatically here in the in in the States. Just, just you wait. I don't think it's that kind of story like some people have been making it out to be. So I just want to point that out. And then the last little thing I want to, last story I want to bring an update to is the ongoing Activision Blizzard uh, lawsuit settlement, whatever case again i'm not equipped to talk about this especially now since we've gotten so far past the initial story and into the really nitty-gritty legalities of it all i'm just here to give you what the the update is in a single sentence or two just so we're keeping up with what's going on here but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and 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 postulate on you know what what i think is uh what i think is happening because i'm just not equipped to have that conversation so real quick your update for the week regarding the Activision Blizzard settlement, uh, or actually rather is that a settlement with the U.S. Equity Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, uh, this past week. They, sorry, they announced a settlement with them committing to cr- the creation of an $18 million fund for the purpose of amends. Any amounts from the fund not received by eligible claimants are stated to go towards charities for women in the games industry and to promote awareness around harassment. So that is your latest update regarding that story, just to put it out there. And then lastly, before we jump 
jump into lastly before we jump into the comments i just want to put out a reminder yes this weekend there will be the part two of the second halo infinite alpha or you know alpha test flighting stream whatever or alpha test flight or whatever it may be where we're going to have access to big team battle Super excited about this. I played tons of Halo Infinite this past weekend. I know everyone's really pumped to finally try Big Team Battle and to play more Halo Infinite. I got some bad news for you. I'm out of town this week. I'm flying out back home to Atlanta to visit some family, so I'm not going to be able to play this stream at all. And I'm really, really bummed about it, so I'm going to try to make light of it and sweep it under the rug and move on because thinking about it hurts my tiny heart. But yeah, so I mean, I try. I tried hard. I tried to think so much about like a way I could pull this off. But really, the way my travel schedule lines up is, it's like I'm gone the second this thing goes live, and I'm back the second it goes offline. So there's basically zero percent chance I get to touch a second of this of this uh, of this big team battle test flight. So I'm very bummed about it. But it is what it is. Obviously, I'll play big team battle if they do another test flight, or at the very least, you know, when the fucking game comes out in just two months now. So it's not a huge deal. It's not the end of the world. I've already put many, many hours into Halo Infinite between this past weekend and the last test flight. So I'm grateful for those opportunities to have tried this game. But yes, just to put that out there, if you're looking forward to some Xbox on streaming and some hanging out and playing Halo Infinite this weekend, unfortunately, that will not be happening. But there are plenty of other good people who will be streaming it. There are plenty of other i mean obviously they've opened up the test flight to everyone this time so as long as you're a halo insider you will get to play it. you don't have to be chosen so at the most important thing is you can still play it so go ahead enjoy yourselves let me know how it was i hope you guys have a really good time doing that this weekend and that is it for all of our top of the show bullshit let's jump into our comments our opening comments our comments you know how this works guys you go to youtube.com slash c slash xbox on podcast you click subscribe you hit reminder for the bell because you know it's the most important channel you're ever going to subscribe to i get that and you're going to click on the latest video and you're going to say i, I want to leave a comment here so leave a fucking comment stop talking about it and just fucking do it you could say something really nice you could say jesse it really sucks that you don't get to see the new Halo. You don't get to experience the Epcot fireworks the day they premiere, and you don't get to do the Halo Infinite uh, test flight big team battle this weekend. That really sucks. But you know what? There will be other times to see fireworks. There will be other times to play Halo Infinite. You have a great time with your family. I appreciate you uh, you you letting us know what's going on. And uh, I just want to I just want to say hey hey all the way from uh, Wyoming Tennessee. Thank you. And I'll be like, wow, what a nice comment. A little inept, but but wonderful nonetheless. Thank you for writing in. Or you could leave a terrible comment. You could say, Jesse, it is cosmic justice that you do not get to see the opening night premiere of the Epcot fireworks show. It is also cosmic justice that you get to miss the Halo Infinite big team battle tech test. I hope you cry. I hope your tears are salty. And I hope I get the, ta- the chance to taste those tears. You suck. Your show sucks. And if you were any kind of hard candy, you'd be a sucker. And I would say, that's a fucking mean comment, a little weird, but nonetheless, I'm going to read it because it's a comment and I'm desperate for content. All right, our first comment of the week comes from Sam Torres. He says, great show. You slammed it even being under the weather. Thanks for the hard work. Don't apologize for wanting Xbox to have their own games from Marvel, Star Wars, or Barbie, for that matter. They've come a long way from eight years ago and standing and stating that a new Xbox Men game would be nice, only helps helps put that out into the universe. Sup, Phil, you like comic books? You like comic book books? That's how you that's how you spelled it. Alright, Sam. Well thank you. I appreciate the comment. I appreciate the kind words. And I am feeling better, so I appreciate that as well. Yeah, and I'd just like to clarify. Listen, I'm just I'm just here to clarify. I'm here to present myself as honestly and accurately as I can, and I'm here to 
not be a walking, talking contradiction as much as possible because every human is to an extent, but I want to be as accurate and honest as possible so that I'm not just saying shit to, for the sake of filling up the airtime like I am right now by talking slowly and running down the runtime of this podcast. I can't believe you're still listening. There are so many other Xbox podcasts you could be listening to. Below, I have a list of Xbox podcasts I suggest listening to over this one. <clears throat> I've listed them in alphabetical order. Here we go. Just kidding. Next up, let's talk about some Arby's. Josiah, my brother, writes in and says, Arby's saved my life. The missus made us try being vegan for a week a few years ago. Near the end of the week, I was dying from delicious food withdrawal. Arby's is like the only fast food restaurant where the fries are done in a separate fryer than the ones used for the meat products. So they're actually vegan. Those fries got me through a tough time. I just want to point out here that how absurdly ironic it is that during a week where you had to eat exclusively vegan, the only fast food respite you were able to find was at an establishment whose slogan is, we have the meats. So, I think that's a little funny. Mavsman also writes in and says, while not generally a fan of restaurants with secret menus, Arby's has by far the best secret menu item of all time, the Meat Mountain. This sandwich is not for the faint of heart in Jesse. You will go through your calorie count with just this one sandwich. But it is definitely something that should be checked off everyone's food bucket list. Mavsman, I only had a cursory knowledge of this, this sandwich's existence. And after you left this comment, I immediately went and binged it because I'm not a savage that uses Google. So I looked it up on Bing. I looked at the images. I went to the RV's website and saw all about it. It looks like it's one of those like secret menu items that's not that secret. But nonetheless, I didn't know about it enough to like consciously go into an Arby's and order it. So I want to say thank you for bringing this to my attention in a more um, active way. And I, I don't care about the calorie count. I need to man up and try the meat mountain sandwich. Um, this is obviously a great opportunity for some premier YouTube content. I think maybe I should do a uh, food review where I eat the meat mountain sandwich in my car, uh, because the likes of that has never, we've never seen anything like that. Okay. So, Thank you, Mavs man. Uh, can't wait to check it out. Halo. Let's talk about Halo. It's an Xbox thing. EA's King117 writes in says, One, okay, Halo Infinite is great. Two, the Spartan bots are more skilled than actual players. I disagree. Three, if you keep reloading and meleeing at the same time, you can keep punching with no cooldown. It's very OP. Yeah, that's a glitch, and they're fixing it, and we're not supposed to talk about that, but thank you for bringing it up. Four, what is the Dynamo Grenade? Yeah, that's a new thing. Five, the new Halo Waypoint beta website is buggy. Okay, I didn't notice it because I wasn't using it. Six, the customization of your Spartan on the website looks as bad as the old website. Okay. And six, uh, you already said six, but I, I think you meant to say seven. I forgot, why do you not like ketchup? Okay, well, these are great points, comments, um, statements, and questions. Uh, but I only want to address one, which is six, or the second six, which I assume is seven, where you say, why do you not like ketchup? EA's King, let me ask you this. You coming to me and having the audacity to say, Jesse, why do you not like ketchup? To me, sounds equivalent to like going around saying, oh, hey, man, why don't you like the taste of shit? Why don't, why don't you like to, to pick your poopy out of the toilet and just put it right in your mouth? Why don't you like that? Okay. Do I need a reason to not like shit? Because ketchup is shit. That's why I don't like ketchup. EA's King. Everything else... We're not here to talk about video games. All right. 
Favorite comment of the week goes to Headhunting Halo. Remember, guys, this is not Megan. This is not a porn bot account. This is a real person. So let's read through the comments. It says, Jess, I hope you're feeling a lot better. Thank you, I am. Is it just me, or do you eat regular tacos from Taco Bell in, like, two bites? How many can you eat in one sitting? Jesse, also, do you know... <laughs> also, Jesse, why do you keep ignoring my Legend of Dragoon comments? Jesse, stop being an ass, lol. Also, how's your cat doing? Haven't heard from... <laughs> I haven't heard from her in a month or so. And also, how much mild sauce do you put on them tacos? This is the most psychopathic con uh, comment we've received on the show in a little bit of time. So I definitely want to give you a very big round of applause for that comment. Also, your profile pic on YouTube is, uh, I think that's Mike Myers' mask, one of, the, one of the murderers from the Halloween movie things. And then also, on top of that, on top of all that, it's Halloween season. So that's very fitting. So I'm not saying I'm inviting you to come kill me if you're a serial killer. I hope you don't do that, but... This is uh, this is like some A-plus psychopath shit, the way you've written this comment. I love it. So I do want to just say real quick, I am feeling better. Thank you thank you for, for your kindness there. But yes, Taco Bell tacos are notoriously way too easy to inhale. They are, they are as simple as you open it up from the packaging, chomp, chomp, next taco. It, it is a two-bite affair, three if you're trying to be civilized. So absolutely. So with that said... How many tacos could I eat once? How many Taco Bell tacos could I eat once sitting? Okay, a couple things we got to qualify here. I don't normally get tacos at Taco Bell. If I do, hard shell is out of the question. I'm a soft shell, flour tortilla guy. I don't give a shit if a real authentic Mexican taco is a corn tortilla, those little tiny corn tortillas. No one gives a shit. Those things suck. I love Mexican food. Mexican culture is beautiful. I love it. I want to go to Mexico one day. No disrespect to Mexico, but... America did Mexico a favor when we Tex-Mex the fuck out of their culinary and introduced the world to the flour tortilla because the flour tortilla makes the corn tortilla entirely obsolete. 100%. I don't hate corn. Corn is a main ingredient. It is the main crop in, Mex in the Mexican diet. I get that. It's very important. It, like corn is to the Mexican diet what trans fats are to the American diet. So I don't mean to discredit the the importance of corn. But if you're going to order a taco, it's got to be a flour, corn, or sorry, a, a soft flour tortilla. That's first things first. Second of all, Taco Bell beef tastes just fine, but if you're not substituting the, you know, and, and doing the extra cost for the chicken, then you deserve to go and you deserve to go to hell. It's just that simple. So we got to keep this straight. First of all, if I'm getting a taco from Taco Bell, it is a soft shell flour tortilla, it is chicken, not beef, and it is supreme. I got to have that sour cream, got to have that lettuce, got to have that tomato in there. If I don't, I simply won't eat it. I will throw it at you, and I will uh, not come out of my dressing room until I get what I deserve, which is exactly what I just described to you. Now, if that's the case, if this is what we're talking about, soft shell taco, chicken, it's supreme. Okay, cool. We've, we've met the conditions. I got a Baja Blast on the side to down it like Matt Stoney. We're good. My guess is if it's like I'm starving, I haven't eaten all day, I could literally eat a cow, but it's a chicken instead. I'm I'm not joking. I'm not like trying to be cool. I'm not trying to flex on you guys. I gen genuinely believe I could probably knock out between 25 and 30 of these bad bitches. Now, I might take that back once I start eating, but like, you know, m maybe once I get through like Taco 12 or something like that, I might be like, um, what the fuck was I thinking? But I genuinely think 20 easy. There's no doubt I can do 20. I really think I might be able to do 20 to 25. Or sorry, 25 to 30, rather. 
So that is my proposition. That's what I'm putting out there into the world. You guys let me know what you think you could do. I really truly believe I could do 25 to 30 or I could do 20, but I think I might be able to stretch to 25, 30. So that's what I want to focus on there. My cat's doing fine. Thanks for asking. She's, she's actually doing great. Last night she, uh, she somehow found a lizard, uh, a little lizard and she killed it. And when I woke up this morning, she was being extraordinarily like kind, like sweet and doting on me. And she fall, she like pulled me out into the living room and showed me this dead lizard on the floor that had little bite marks all over it from where she killed it. So I was very upset with her at first because I don't want my cat to kill other living creatures. So I was very sad about the lizard. I don't want the lizard to be dead. That's not cool. But at the same time, this is the cutest thing. So I, I guess I'm, I'm just learning about cats all the time. So apparently this is like a thing like they want to kill their prey and things like that to protect their family and their loved ones and like provide them with food or whatever the fuck it is she's trying to do. But this cat, I swear to God, was so fucking proud of herself for killing this this little lizard. She was like rubbing up against me and my girlfriend, just like being like, give me pets. She was purring super loud. She's rolling around and smiling and being all cute. I have not seen this cat be as doting and happy and just expressive like this in just such a very long time. It was absolutely the cutest fucking thing in the world if you can if you can separate from the fact that she just killed a poor innocent little lizard but she's doing great she's out here eating and running around and playing and being cute and she coos like a little bird and it's it's freaking adorable now let's jump to the rest of the comments this isn't a big comment week so we don't have too many more to get through but i do want to read a little something from dead captain james it says the chicken sandwich taco from taco bell is my new addiction dead captain james i i almost got that today after reading this comment I've had it already. It's I think it's okay. I don't think it's that great. But I, I kind of was craving them a little bit after I read this comment. And uh, I, I didn't get them. I thought I'd save the money and just go home and eat. But I wanted to. And I just want to let you know. You're the reason why I wanted. Sweaty Bandito says, 90s kids who don't know Judge Dredd, do yourself a favor. And you spell favor like a British person. Watch Dredd from 2012. It's only 90 minutes. That's how to adapt a comic for a film. Then imagine id Software making the game. Sweaty Bandito, I'll, I'll admit right now, I've heard of Dredd. I don't know what Dredd is. And I am a 90s kid who doesn't know Judge Dredd. So I think I need to watch the movies is what I'm saying. Josiah, my brother, gets his gets in here a second time this week and says, Bethesda was worth what Microsoft spent. You aren't thinking about this right. All those talented studios, the 8 bajillion IP, including Elder Scrolls and Fallout, all those engines, id Tech, think about that. Neither of us are appraisers, but I think you're very wrong that it's a fourth of the price paid. Well, I'm just putting it like this. Yes, they get a lot of they get a lot of engine tech. They get a lot of studios, they get a lot of IP, right? They also now take on a bajillion new employees. They have to pay a bajillion more salaries, pay for a billion more buildings for rent and all this shit, and they have to pay all these benefits and, and things like that for all these new people. The expense that they took on when they acquired all this shit is absurdly immense. And at some point, you just got to be like, for that much money, and then the expense that comes with all that, Really worth it for just, uh, you know, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, they get some cool engine tech. Yeah, they get great IP. I'm not denying it, but I don't know. It's it's a lot is all I'm saying. I definitely think they overpaid. If we, we can argue and split hairs about by how much they overpaid, but I don't think there's any denying. They definitely overpaid. And that's okay. They can afford to do so. This isn't the end of Microsoft, but I, I, I refuse to believe they did not overpay. Mr. Miggy rounds us out with, uh, with the last comment of the day and says, I really love 
the Microsoft Surface products, even the new ones. It's a shame that people look to the iPod, sorry, to the iPad Pro, which only became a thing because of how capable Surface was. It's just a shame they're so expensive. If they did the type cover and the pen as an included product, I'd forever, I'd forgive the pricing. Also, I have to strongly agree that Arby's is underrated, except for the roast beef, which is bad. But the chicken sandwiches, the sides, they're all made fresh and are fantastic. Even the desserts. Sadly, I was there when they switched over to Coke from Pepsi. Almost had to assassinate a guy because he was happy about it. P.S. TGI Fridays has the best mozzarella sticks ever. Well, I just wanted to read this because this is just such a fantastic comment. We're praising Surface. We're praising Arby's. We're praising TGI Fridays. Mr. Miggy, at what point do we go from leaving a comment on Xbox on to tugging off the host? You know, it's like, what are you, what are you doing here? I already like you. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to shower me with all the kind words, okay? But yes, I agree. TGI does make the best mozzarella sticks, and that's coming from a guy that loves TGI. Also, Arby's bring back Pepsi. And also, yes, god damn it, yes, Microsoft, please for the love of fucking God, the Surface Pro and the Surface Go need to come with a type cover included. The pen, I don't I don't mind them charging separate for the pen because not everyone needs the pen, but the type cover should 100% come included because you need the type cover. You just need it. But yes, I agree. I, I, a lot of what iPad is today is a direct response to Surface, and it is a little frustrating that like no one no one ever pays attention to that or pays any recognition to Microsoft for that. But whatever. The the good thing to note here is even though iPad obviously sells like crack, um, Microsoft Surface and this this isn't coming from a I love Microsoft I hate Apple perspective because I, I like the iPad and I want to like the iPad more than I do. But this is just an honest to god fact. The Surface is a Surface Pro, the tablet two in one PC is significantly more capable and practical than the iPad will ever be. iPad is good for single-purpose devices. If, it, if you need an iPad because you want to do digital sketch work and nothing else, iPad's great. If you want an iPad because you are a small business owner and you need a light little portable, easy to set up and move around little POS system, iPad is fantastic. But if you are someone who is genuinely trying to have a Portable laptop slash tablet experience. The iPad is fucking useless. It is a stupid, stupid product. I don't care. I will defend iPhone. iPhone is great. I will defend Mac. It is great. Apple makes plenty of great products. Apple is a very capable company with a very powerful brand that makes very, very capable software and hardware iPad, unfortunately, does not fall into that category. I'm sorry. iPad is a very sleek and sexy piece of hardware. When you hold it, it feels good. When you use it, it feels good. But when you try to get work done and do shit with it, it's fucking useless. And yes, they've gotten marginally better over the years, but still, you cannot do shit on an iPad. There is a reason why I never bought a second iPad, and it is because iPad is fucking useless. I'm just going to say that as I sit here. I have my hand on my Surface Pro, and I'm just petting it. I'm just rub. I'm, right now, I'm rubbing it like a, like it's a baby's tummy, rubbing its tummy. All right, but Apple makes a bunch of other great stuff, guys. That's it for our comments. Now that we've uh, we've tugged off, we've verbally tugged off Microsoft for all that they do. We can jump into the uh, regular news. But first, I want to just say, you think about commenting. You like what we just did there? Don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. Before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I gotta tell you all about what I've been eating, guys. I got an exciting one. Normally, I try to talk about the more mundane things I've been eating because I want to make this as accessible to all. You know, if I tell you about the new menu item at Taco Bell, it's like that's something we can all talk about, right? We can all talk about our local fast food joint. But if I tell you about this specific restaurant that's a one-off here in Orlando and it's really, you know, it's like now I'm just kind of now I'm just kind of ostracizing people. I, I don't want that to be the case. But this week, 
we got to talk about T-Rex. Now, we always talk about the Rainforest Cafe, greatest place on earth, right? Wrong. T-Rex is even better. T-Rex, and I think I mentioned on the on the podcast before, is basically like Rainforest Cafe. It is owned by the same parent company, that is Landry's, and it is actually located right next to the Rainforest Cafe at Disney. It's, it's pretty much right down the, the bridge from where you, you just cross the bridge uh, from where Rainforest Cafe is, and now you're over at the T-Rex. Think the same concept of, of Rainforest Cafe, but now it is the prehistoric Jurassic whatever fucking dinosaur era, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And this restaurant is incredible because instead of dining in a rainforest among gorillas and panthers and leopards and birds and whatever, and a storm going off every 20 minutes, you are now dining with T-Rexes and Triceratops and Pterodactyls. And every 20 minutes, a fucking meteor shower comes in and wipes out the dinosaurs. And it's the fucking coolest restaurant in the world. And it's so heavily themed. It's so detailed. And this is just like Rainforest Cafe. It is a restaurant I think about without fail, not even joking, minimum of once a day. I love it that much. This is a place that has become such an indelible part of my character that I just got a shout out to the T-Rex. Well, Jesse, we don't hear you talk about the T-Rex a lot. Why don't you talk about it more if you love it so much? Well, let me tell you the unfortunate news. I have a girlfriend who would rather eat at quote unquote real restaurants than dine under the meteors with the dinosaurs every week. So the thing is, this is the thing everyone learns when they move to Florida because they're a Disney fan and they want to be close to the parks. There are two types of restaurants at Disney. There are the restaurants that are great because they are authentically great restaurants with authentically great food. Then there are the restaurants like Rainforest Cafe and T-Rex where people like myself think the food's great, but most people view it as if you're on vacation from a different state or a different country or wherever the fuck you're coming from and you come here and you're like, yeah, you and your kids and your family can dine in the middle of a fucking rainforest or in the middle of a, 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 a meteor shower with dinosaurs, you're going to be like, okay, that's fucking awesome. I want to be a part of this right now. It's awesome. It's exciting. It's wacky. It's tacky. It's touristy. It really appeals to the out-of-the-box kind of experience people are looking for when they go to a place like Walt Disney World. However... Once you make the move to to Florida, you decide, I want to live near Disney World. I want to make Orlando, Florida my home. You quickly go, places like T-Rex, Rainforest Cafe, that's fun when you're, you know, traveling here as a tourist. But when you're local, that's too much. I want it to be, I want a restaurant that's just a regular restaurant, no frills, just good food. And that seems to always be the attitude. So it is very, very hard as a local to find friends, to, to get my girlfriend, or to get anyone in any capacity in my life, to be like, yeah, you want to go catch, ca- you want to go casually meet up at the Rainforest Cafe and dine with the animatronics? No one wants to fucking do that. So I'm constantly at odds with this. I love these restaurants. I want to eat here all the time. I never can, but no one wants to go with me. So I'm basically left to two options. I can either just bitch and moan about it all year, and then maybe once a year for like a birthday or something, my girlfriend will cave and let us go, or. I can go eat there alone. And there are many things. I'm not afraid to do many things alone. I don't mind going to a theme park alone. I quite enjoy having a day to myself in a theme park. I don't mind going to a quick service restaurant or fast food restaurant and having a meal by myself. I'm fine with that. For some reason, I cannot go to a a table service sit-down restaurant by myself. I cannot sit at a bar or at a table as a single individual and have a meal experience. For whatever reason, I just can't do it. And it looks doubly weird when you go to the fucking family animatronic rainforest restaurant and try to sit down as an adult male with a beer 
weird all by yourself to eat alone. It is just not a thing you want to do. So I've never done it. But the reason I bring this all up, and goddamn, what a what a fucking introduction, right? Is because my girlfriend's friends were in town this week, and she uh, was hanging out with them. They were out and about doing things. I was at home streaming Halo Infinite with all you fine gentlemen and, and ladies and, and others. Sorry, with all you fine people. And I got the text that said, hey, my friends are like, yo, why is there a restaurant with a dinosaur in it? Can we eat there? And I'm like, ha, 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 you joking, right? And she's like, nah, meet me here now. And I'm like, okay. So we ended the stream. I did what any sane person would. I said, fuck Halo Infinite, uh, bye. And I ran over to Disney so we could go eat at the T-Rex. And it was impromptu, and it was it was sporadic, and it was exciting, and it was, it was wonderful. It was spontaneous and just romantic, and it just, it was one of the most... It was one of the most surprising things my girlfriend had done in a long time, and it really made me feel special, really made me feel cared for and loved, and having the opportunity to dine in my favorite place with someone I love in a very, you know, in a very surprising way was just something that kind of swept me off my feet. And so this this Sunday, I had the pleasure at dining at the T-Rex. We were sat in the uh, aquarium area next to the giant octopus in the giant aquarium tank, and we had a great view of the dinosaurs. And every 20 minutes, the meteor shower absolutely went out, and we went to the Ice Age ice cavern section of the restaurant and watched the Ice Age turn red as the fiery as the fiery um, meteors would melt down the ice the ice caps and everything. It was just quite it was quite wonderful. We had a wonderful meal. Of course, we got the uh, the chocolate extinction brownie for dessert. No duh. Uh, but yeah, I just I just want to give a big old shout out to T Rex. If you've never heard of it, look it up. If you've never been and you have the means to go because maybe you vacation here in Florida or whatever, go. What are you waiting for? This is like the Halo Infinite of restaurants. Stop being a bitch and go. Uh, so that's what I've been eating, guys. So happy to talk to you about it. But what I've been playing, I've been chipping away at Psychonauts too. Uh, I this is a rare game where I'm not slow to getting around to it because I don't want to play it. I actually want to play this game. I'm really loving Psychonauts 2. It's actually probably like top three best games I've played this year. I really, really love it. I'm about halfway through it. I'm just having a really hard time finding time for it. But I'm actually a little excited because while I'm in Georgia this weekend at my family's house, I won't have access to my Xbox. I won't be able to play the Halo Infinite um, test flight. But I will have access to my computer, and I'll bring an Xbox controller with me. So I'm thinking this might be a really fun opportunity to play around with some cloud streaming. So I'm thinking about trying to chip away at Psychonauts 2 this weekend um, using xCloud. I'm really excited to try that out in a more like commercial experience where I get to travel and bring my Xbox games with me regardless of not being home with my console. So I'm really excited to try that out. But Psychonauts 2... Just slowly chipping away at it. I fucking love this game. It is so fun to play. The platform is so tight. The visuals are so beautiful and stunning and polished. The way they tie the narrative and in the comedy and the writing into the gameplay mechanics and everything uh, is just really, really clever. Really, really funny. And I just, I, I cannot say enough good about Psychonauts 2. I think it is superior to the first game in every way imaginable. And it is basically everything I wanted the first game to be. So I'm extremely pleased with this. So that's the first thing. Second thing is Halo Infinite. What more can we say, right? Now, obviously, there's there's some stuff to talk about here, right? The test flight happened this weekend. It's PvP. Otherwise, it's largely the same shit we were playing on the last beta or the last um, test flight. But the difference here being... Now we're playing with real players instead of bots. So I think my experience is quite similar to what I saw a lot of people having. I am not a PC player. I do not want to play Halo with a mouse and keyboard. I understand you can make the argument all day. Mouse and keyboard are superior. Guess what? Congratulations. You are officially talking to a fucking brick wall at this point because you will never convince me 
even though I just bought a gaming PC, you will never convince me that I need to switch to mouse and keyboard or to PC if I want to play Halo. Halo is a very special game to me. It is the quintessential Xbox experience. And to me, Halo will always feel at home and improperly played on an Xbox console with an Xbox gamepad. That's just how it is. That's just how I'm going to continue to do this. And again, as I, as I, as I try to put it to my brother, I don't care if you're giving me access to the Porsche if I can only handle the Toyota. So you can tell me all you want. Mouse and keyboard are more impressive or are more capable than a controller all day long. But if I'm only comfortable and I'm only equipped to use a gamepad, that's what I should be using. And so I'm going to stick with the Xbox gamepad. I'm not going to use the mouse and keyboard. And I bring that up to say, yikes, this build was really rough for controllers players, for people, for players with controllers. The aiming is completely fucked. The dead zones were completely fucked. And it was sweaty as all hell trying to compete with all these PC losers and all these Halo ex- elites and everything. Obviously, you know, it's a closed test flight, invites only. This is an example of... Only the top tier Halo players, only the diehard Halo players having access to the game. So you got to keep in mind, you're not playing against the people you're going to be playing with in December when the game comes out, which is everyone. Right now, you're basically only playing with the diehard Halo fanboys that are absolutely gung-ho, Halo crazy, and they have the advantage on mouse and keyboard. And people on controllers have this really gimped, broken kind of experience with the aiming and the and the um, uh, aim assist and all this stuff where it was kind of breaking the experience. I was kind of just not having a fun time at first. Luckily, uh, I, I kind of, in, in, a, in a moment of frustration, went on Reddit. And I was like, surely I'm not the only one feeling this way. So I went to the Halo subreddit and started looking around to see. And sure enough, a lot of people were having similar complaints. And I stumbled upon a comment from someone basically just saying, yeah, if you actually go into the settings and adjust the dead zones to this and change the sensitivity to that and all these little tweaks here and there, it actually fix, fixes a lot. And it actually makes it a lot more how it should feel. And so I was like, you know what? I'm desperate. Fuck it. I Usually I'm not the kind of person to toggle with settings. I'm the kind of guy who's just like, this is the way the developers made the game. This is the way I'll force myself to play it. But in this case, I was so desperate for any kind of way to make the game more pleasant, more enjoyable. So I did this. And to my surprise, it worked. Now, it wasn't 100% perfect, but this made playing the beta significantly better. And so I went online. I saw Count Skyla was having similar similar issues. So I told him about it. And then that, I guess people cared because that comment was, you know, by, by Jesse's standards, that comment was pretty popular. And so it seems like a lot of people were really having this problem. And a lot of people were looking for remedies. And the thing that sucks here is that most people won't have, you know, the insight that I had and that, that Reddit guy provided us and a lot of people will just play with this broken controller setup and it's really unfortunate because after I fixed it while not perfect I had a significantly better experience and had a lot lot more fun and the thing is obviously these are things that will be tweaked and adjusted and fixed over time this is a tech test after all it's not the final game but it just sucks to know a lot of people probably had a not so great time this weekend playing this game on controller because of this. And it could have been avoided had some simple adjustments been made on behalf of 343. That's the first thing I want to say. Now, with that little bit of negativity out of the way, and of course, the little exploit, the uh, what is it called? The XB melee exploit that uh, EA's King was referencing. Obviously, that won't be in the final game. They'll patch that out. But that little melee exploit was ruining a lot of shit. I know at first it was kind of a fun meme, and then it became this annoying thing where people are actually doing it and kind of ruining the game. Those things aside, Halo Infinite is just a very, 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 very fun 
an exciting Halo shooter. This game looks and feels like a next-gen Halo 3. This is exactly where I feel like if Halo 4 never happened, if Halo 5 never happened, if it were just Halo 3 and then the franchise went dead silent for a decade and now we were getting Halo Infinite, if that's what had happened, I feel like this would be the perfect sequel to Halo 3. This is exactly what you want to see Halo 3 evolve into. And it feels like mechanically and just in your hands when you're playing it, feels like a cross between Halo 5 and Halo Infinite, or sorry, Halo 5 and Halo 3. And to me, that's so exciting because guess what my two favorite Halo games are? Right. So this is really, really, in my opinion, just excellent. It's visually, you know, fans wanted the old art style back. I still think there's a little bit of that 343 art style hiding in here, especially when you look at like Forerunner structures. Uh, But yeah, it, it really does, especially on this new map, behemoth especially when you play behemoth the new map oh my god dude that literally looks like someone just went back in time to 2007 grabbed the chunk of halo 3 brought it to the future and just and and made it in today's you know on today's consoles with today's technology just like playing behemoth for the first time actually made me very emotional i know it's kind of embarrassing to say because the first three maps you know bizarre bizarre reminds me a little bit of halo 2 uh, what is it called fire range or whatever live fire feels a lot like looks a lot like halo reach to me and then recharge looks like halo reach slash you know like i don't know they all they it all looks like halo 3 ish but more so with, with like touches of other halos whatever that's poorly worded but the point i'm trying to make is behemoth when you first spawn to this new math behemoth th- this is unmistakably just like lost halo 3 content like i i felt like i was transported back to middle school in 2007 playing Halo 3 for the first time it, it it genuinely made me emotional to experience that like i i'm the guy who will sit here all day telling you how people are way too hard on 343 you know obviously yes Halo 4 and 5 took massive liberties with the franchise and huge aesthetic and and story driven um departures from from the classic halo that bungie built and i understand that's divisive and controversial for a lot of people but i'm always the person who will sit here and defend for 343 because even though yes it's different i still think their halo is very good halo that being said i didn't realize how much like i was emotionally connected to halo 3 because like just just talking about and thinking about it now actually makes me just like choke up a little bit because playing halo infinite on the new map behemoth just transports me back to the absolute like happiest moments of my youth and it it just brings a joy to my life that like I honest to god cannot like cannot express enough to you just just how incredibly I don't know just how happy it makes me and how excited it makes me for this game like I hope you know obviously my words are pretty poor right now but I hope at least the tone of my voice and the way in which I'm speaking about this can convey to you just how like purely and genuinely excited I am for this game um based on this this experience alone I cannot give enough props to 343 I am I am beyond, like, you know, you hear me bitch and moan about Xbox having a stupid Gamescom presence and all the ways E3 could have been better and what are they doing acquiring so many studios and this and that. I try to be critical of Xbox where I feel like it's necessary and I will continue to do that. But if you if you need if you feel like sometimes I'm too critical and you need to see like well what the fuck makes you an Xbox fan if you're just always criticizing and never talking it up, I, I just want you to know this right here. This is this is an example of why I love Xbox. This is why I'm an Xbox fan. Is for moments like this. We could cancel every fucking game coming from every other Xbox game studio right now. 
Fable, Forza 5, uh, fucking uh, Redfall, Hellblade 2, whatever the fuck it is you want to think of. Stay to K3. I don't give a shit. Whatever the game is, cancel it all. Forget it all. Tell me Xbox has no games. Tell me Xbox has no studios. I don't care. Halo Infinite and what it's already provided us on the Xbox Series X, the most powerful console I've ever played, is already enough to me to where I don't mind. You know, this console was worth 500 bucks. This game is worth 60 bucks. To have it in Game Pass for $15 a month is a fucking steal. Like, I am 100% content with what we have here on Xbox just for playing, just for getting the opportunity to have played this map and this game on this console. It is absolutely everything I could ever hope and dream for it to be. Now, that being said, I have some criticism of Halo Infinite. I think sometimes it's a little tough. Sometimes it's a little too twitchy. Sometimes it... It is, I, I don't know, it's it's hard for me to say because I'm I'm kind of inadequate when it comes to talking about these kinds of things, and also this beta, or test flight rather, is, is basically exclusively hardcore Halo fans, but from what I experience, I feel like Halo Infinite is a little sweatier, a little harder than the Halo I'm used to. I feel like normally Halo's a lot more of a casual experience. Now, I think when you let millions of casuals play the game because it's a Game Pass game in a few months, it will probably even itself out. I think some easy, some some more friendly-tuned skill-based matchmaking and some more playlists and things like that will really help smooth things out. And then, of course, just some overall weapon balancing and tweaks and control uh, tweaks and things like that, I think will go a long way in balancing this whole thing out. But from what I experienced this weekend, I think the game is a little sweaty at some times. There were some moments where I was just pretty fucking frustrated because it just felt like, you know, I'm a pretty middle of the road average Halo player, but I was having a very hard time even keeping up. Um, and there are just multiple games where it was just like, what the fuck? It's like the other team won, you know, 50 to 22 or something like that. Like this is incredibly unbalanced. So there are definitely gripes with that. And those are the kinds of balancing acts that, that are why we have these test flights, right? Is because they want to expose these kinds of things and figure out what they need to do to avoid this stuff from happening. That's why we're testing the game in, 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 in playing with it now so that when it comes on, on December 8th, it has as little and as few of these problems as humanly possible. So I get that. Uh, I think some some of the some of the guns have way too crazy of range. I think the new pulse carbine kind of sucks. I wish the sidearm pistol was just a touch more powerful. I wish the bulldog uh, shotgun were available more often in the maps because it's fucking amazing. I love it. Uh, I wish the respawn time was one to one and a half seconds faster. I think it is just a touch too long. So I I have criticisms. You know, I want player collision detection to come back. That's weird. I'm, apparently, it's supposed to be in the final game, but not having it so far has been fucking weird it's made the physics a little broken the repulsor new equipment item this is a compliment not a complaint is mind-blowingly awesome i thought the fucking grapple hook was the coolest thing and it, and it is but the repulsor oh my god right there with it the new equipment in this game is phenomenal i just guys i cannot tell you how incredibly hyped i am about halo infinite i had a great time we, we streamed the hell out of it on on friday night and all all day sunday and i didn't stream it saturday but i played a shit ton of it i have just had an absurd an absurdly great time with halo infinite really salty i don't get to play the um big team battle this weekend but i'm so grateful to have gotten to play what i have so far and i i truly cannot wait for this game i have some there's i've put so much pressure on myself now to catch up on some of my backlog over these next few weeks i got to get through psychonauts i want to get through um I, I want to play some new games that are about to come out. I want to play Far Cry, Far Cry Six, uh, Battlefield Twenty Forty Two, all all the shit. I'm like, I gotta get all this stuff out of the way because come December eighth, I don't want to touch or think of or see another fucking game. I just want to play Halo Infinite. I'm so excited for this final product. So, 
Um, those are my uh, just kind of overall thoughts on this week's tech test. And lastly, I haven't been playing it, but I'm really looking forward to Hot Wheels Unleashed, which is supposed to come out this Thursday. So that's what we'll be streaming Thursday night. It is a new Hot Wheels arcade racer, which is getting surprisingly fantastic reviews. And uh, so that that is, I guess, what I've been playing next week. But I just want to put it out there. The game comes out the day this show goes live. So I'm really looking forward to that. But with all that out of the way, guys, that is what I've been playing. And now let's jump into the news. All right. So our first and second story today are kind of interrelated, but we'll try to go out in, uh, we'll go out in order nonetheless, or at least try to. But the first one, big one, actually kind of broke <laughs> late last week. Let me just read it from Windows Central. The initiative developer of upcoming first-person shooter Perfect Dark announced on Thursday night that the team is partnering with Crystal Dynamics in order to develop their upcoming near-future spy thriller. The initiative tweeted, and this is one of the few tweets they have on their account, Perfect Dark update. We are partnering with Crystal Dynamics, the world-class team behind the character-driven games such as Tomb Raider, to bring the first-person spy thriller to a new generation. That's all the tweet read. And then the story continues. The initiative noted via Twitter that the game is in early development, but that the two teams are now working together. Interestingly enough, Daryl Daryl Gallagher, studio head at the initiative, is the former head of Crystal Dynamics, obviously drawing a relationship there. Crystal Dynamics is owned by Square Enix and is primarily known for the Tomb Raider franchise, as well as most recently Marvel's Avengers. The initiative was first announced at E3 2018, a studio formed in Santa Monica, California, from the ground up as part of Microsoft's renewed investment in gaming. The Perfect Dark reboot was then announced at the Game Awards in 2020, just two years later. So, this is a huge bombshell story. This literally happened Thursday night while I was streaming. Forget who, someone someone dropped a comment, was just like, yo, Jesse, you see the news about Crystal Dynamics working on the initiative, the initiative's game? And I was like, haha, very funny. And they're like, no, seriously. And I'm like, what? So this caught us, this caught a lot of people off by surprise, but um, for sure, big shocker news. Now, I don't know in which direction, in which order to kind of attack this story, but I'll just uh, I'll just speak nonsense to kind of see where that gets us. So, so first things first, the initial reaction, right? Because for a lot of people, this was like a should we be concerned kind of story, and that's kind of the camp I fall into at first, which which was this is a little concerning. I don't feel great about this, right? You've got the team at the initiative that's been billed as like this really high from the ground up, like top tier Xbox game studio. And these are the guys everyone's expecting to see the next great thing from. And then there was already that kind of letdown when it was like, oh, the thing you're working on is perfect dark. And then there's this other letdown now where it's like, and you're like kind of doing the game with someone else. And it's a second studio that you guys don't even own. It's like under another big publisher. So the thing is, this this looks weird. We don't see this happen a lot. Now, in the modern age where games take billions of years and billions of dollars and billions of people seemingly to develop, we're so used to seeing um, work outsourced. Halo Infinite, you know, a game that's shaping up great. We're all excited for it. That game has had so much work outsourced to other teams, um, some credited, some not. So this is a very common occurrence. It's not unusual. But the thing is, we're used to seeing it with like, Certain aspects and certain tasks have been outsourced to certain teams that specialize in those things. This isn't like that. This is like we took an entire fucking team that makes entire fucking video games and are working with them to bring this game together, which almost sounds like they're basically saying this game is being co-developed by the initiative in Crystal Dynamics. So that's weird, right? It's unprecedented. It would be less weird if it was like, oh, yeah, this game is being made in conjunction with um, 
with like machine games because you'd be like, oh, that, that makes sense. Microsoft owns machine games. They're a first-person shooter studio. They do some kind of stealthy things in their games. Like, okay, I see that. That's that's you know that's less alarming, right? But this is like a studio that Xbox doesn't even fucking own. So there's a t- it's 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 hard for me to attack this because my mind goes in so many directions at once trying to think about the story, but that's that's the first thing. It's just how weird it is. So take away whether or not it's good or bad, and just think about how odd that is, right? Okay. Now next up, the obvious connection here, right? Daryl Gallagher, Gallagher, sorry, the 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 head of the initiative was the head of Crystal Dynamics. So obviously there's a relationship there. I think you'd have to be crazy to think that those things are just coincidences. Of course that's related. So it sounds very likely that the initiative was looking for some kind of outsourcing, some kind of alternate team to help them with this project in some form or fashion. And this guy was able to go, hey, I can reach out to my old team. I know what these guys are working on. I know where these guys are at. This was my old team. I know many, many of the people that work there. I know a lot about what's going on. There's no way, you know, just because this guy doesn't work at Crystal Dynamics anymore doesn't mean that he doesn't know what's going on. I mean, he was there basically through all the good new Tomb Raider games and then left right before they started working on Marvel's Avengers. So this guy definitely knows the happenings of that studio over at Crystal Dynamics. He's definitely got contacts over there. So it's very likely that what happened here was they were in a situation where like, hey, we're forming this new studio. Forming a studio takes a long time. Getting the studio's work culture together and trying to build this thing in the middle of a pandemic, it takes a lot of time trying to figure out all the logistics of how do we make games? How does this team work together? What does it look like when we try to redo Perfect Dark? It's a lot of obstacles. It's a lot of new things to overcome. There's a very big difference between a pre-existing studio making their fifth game and a brand new studio building up from the from the ground up and creating their first game ever. It's a very, very daunting and different task. So if there is room for them to bring someone in for certain aspects of this project, it makes sense that they're like, hey, I know these guys over at Crystal Dynamics. We can pull from them. These are good guys. This is my old team. Okay, so that kind of makes sense, right? But then how do you rationalize the fact that it's like, okay, but why would Square Enix just willy-nilly be all like, yeah, you can just have our team, our team that's supposed to be making games that sell copies that make us money in turn. You can just have our our, our staff. Like that doesn't fucking make make sense, right? And so now what you got to think about is, okay, well, what is the state of the initiative and what is the state of Crystal Dynamics and why would this make sense? Crystal Dynamics is in a state right now where just about a year ago, they launched Marvel's Avengers. We don't know what they're working on next. We just know that they're working on supporting Marvel's Avengers. Marvel's Avengers is a is a games as a service game like Destiny, like like Anthem. So obviously they are working on the long-term support of this game, additional content, downloadable content, new aesthetics, new events, new things to buy and download and experience in the game. So all that makes sense. But generally, that is not a all hands on deck affair, especially if you're just if you're just supporting a pre existing game rather than building an entirely new game. So it is very reasonable to believe a a big team like Crystal Dynamics, a fully staffed AAA developer like them, it's very reasonable to believe that only so much of the staff is really working on Marvel's Avengers. The rest of them are probably in pre development of the next game the studio is going to make or whatever, right? So. This kind of adds up a little bit where you have the situation of, okay, the studio head at the initiative used to be the studio head at Crystal Dynamics. The, the initiative needs help. They're in the early stages of this game. They're trying not to have it be a 10-year developed game. They want to get this thing out in a reasonable time period. They need some additional support, but not necessarily 
you know, a doubling of their current staff. Okay, that makes sense. So what do they do? They outsource some talent. Well, he can call on his friends from his old studio because those are people he knows what to expect from, he can work with, he knows, you know, what they're capable of, they're a good fit for the project they're working on at the initiative. So this kind of makes sense. Well, that team happens to be in a transition period where they just launched a game, a lot of people are working on downloadable content, extended content for that game, but not everyone. And so there's probably a lot of hands at that studio that are more or less not really working on much right now. So this way, they kind of get the staff working in full swing. Microsoft can can hire some temporary work from Crystal Dynamics, you know, a, a, a portion of that staff to come and work with the initiative for the next couple of years on Perfect Dark. And that gives them something to do. And then Microsoft in turn pays... Um, uh, pays uh, um, Square Enix for having that staff and having that team for the time being and that kind of justifies Square Enix's ability to keep these people employed and keep these people you know, at this studio without having to do layoffs which are very very common after big game ships at a developer so you know that, that kind of makes sense it helps kind of pad Square Enix's wallets and Square Enix might be enticed by this because remember Marvel's Avengers did not do nearly as well as they expected so this might be a way for Microsoft to throw some money at Square Enix and for Square Enix to kind of make up some lost revenue that they otherwise were expecting from Marvel's Avengers by getting some of that staff to go help out Xbox while the rest of the staff try to salvage Marvel's Avengers, support it with content, get it to be a bigger game, get it to get more people to play it. So all of that makes sense, right? It's like, okay, I can I can see this this culmination of things working in a way that to where this makes sense. Because you think about it from Microsoft's perspective, it's like they they could maybe they could just hire a shit ton of people and make the initiative a bigger team and that's that. Maybe they're in a position where they're having a hard time finding the right talent. They're having a hard time finding the right team. And if they focus on building up each individual member of the team to try and get a complete crew to make this Perfect Dark game, they're just going to hinder their ability to get Perfect Dark at the t- at the gate in a reasonable time. So maybe it just makes more sense for them to have this smaller core team at the initiative to find people that they know are up to the task and to just hire them on as contract work. So now you got Crystal Dynamics or a portion of Crystal Dynamics working with the initiative so they can get this first game out the door. So they can get together and create the game rather than just be this perpetual new studio that's being built that's kind of doing something but it's been a long time and we don't really know what. So I I get it. This gets the ball rolling. It gives Crystal Dynamics something to do. It it can help Square Enix by padding their books a little bit, can give Microsoft the help they need, the shot in the arm, without taking on a whole new staff permanently or indefinitely. So all of this sounds good, but that's just one theory. So that's the way I've been looking at this that makes the most sense for me. Now, there are a lot of people who want to look at this as a bad thing and say, well, clearly the game's in trouble, right? Because obviously... Originally, we thought the initiative as like this is their their um, this is their Insomniac, this is their Naughty Dog, this is their quadruple A studio that's supposed to make the top tier games. Blah 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 blah. So this is where I have to kind of kind of reel some things reel some things back because I've been one of the people who's been a huge user of of the whole quadruple A quote, right? And I've always attributed that to Phil Spencer. I could have sworn. Back in 2018, when this company, when the initiative was formed and announced, that Phil Spencer got up on stage and called them a quadruple A studio. I could have fucking sworn. But in doing my research for this week's podcast, I looked it up and I rewatched those clips from that E3. And Phil Spencer doesn't say, unless I'm missing it, Phil Spencer actually never says that. He never calls them a quadruple A studio. So looking in further, what actually is the case is this was a job posting 
for the initiative um, that you know is like trying to hype people up and get people to apply for the position. It's like you want to work for a premier game developer that is making you know next level uh, games of quadruple quality or whatever like that. It was something to that effect that they were saying, and that and that ended up that job posting ended up getting picked up by YouTubers and news outlets and things like that, and then the story kind of ran from there. So. I had to take credit for. I, I had to take responsibility for that. That is my bad. I completely failed to acknowledge that that was how that happened because the way I've been remembering it all this time is that Phil Spencer referred to them as a quadruple A studio. When it seems like, unless I'm missing something here, in reality, the quadruple A studio thing was a reference to a job posting. So, with that, you got to be honest about it. Like these kinds of things are, you know, everyone here who's ever applied for a job knows job postings are all about hamming up, you know, the experience. And, and, and trying to sell you on something. It's basically a job a job posting is an ad for, you know, a product. They're, they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to sell you a job. Think about every mundane, boring day job you've ever had that you that you kind of resented and how when you applied for it, they're like, are you ready to work for an amazing company that offers amazing pay and benefits and really gives a shit about their employees and invests in their and their employees and tries to give them the world and back because they really care about giving back to the community and being the greatest employer. Our number one goal, you know, some fucking company whose mission statement is like, our goal is to be the, the best employer in the fucking world and to show our employees and our customers that we give a shit and that we are... Uh, purely in it for altruistic reasons and want to just make the world a better place. Like how many companies are out here posting job, job listings like that? It's like all of them, like fucking my company is like that. They're all like that. And so, yes, if this is, if this is truly the case that I've just been misremembering this this whole time and that the quadruple a thing was just a reference to a job posting and not actually something that Phil Spencer said at one point, then we have to reel things back in and understand that the initiative, while yes, they are supposed to be a premier studio, we're not marketed to the audience and to consumers and to gamers and, and the Xbox player base as the um, quadruple A beyond triple A kind of studio. They were more so billed to as a premier high quality triple A big studio. That's kind of how they were pushed. So not something to surpass Sony Santa Monica, not something to surpass 343, but rather something of that tier. You know, it's like we're, we're, we're a big studio. And so let's put that back into perspective and then have me kind of take some shit for, for speaking ill on that for so long. Unless, of course, I was right and I'm just missing something, which I don't think is true. And now let's put it into this perspective. Still, this is supposed to be Sony's or Xbox's premier team. And, and these are the things I can't help but notice. They formed this team in Santa Monica for a reason. Because Sony's best teams are in Santa Monica. Sony's top tier game developers are in or around Santa Monica, Southern California, whatever. And they intentionally did that because that's where a lot of talent is and they wanted to poach talent from the big game design game developers they wanted to go around and entice people to leave their jobs at square enix and leave or crystal dynamics and leave their jobs at sony santa monica and naughty dog and all these other teams and come work for the initiative that's what they were trying to do when they built this team there they knew what they were doing it was strategic and so with that said, they're cl they're clearly trying to big a sorry, what am I? I can't speak. They are clearly trying to build a big developer with this with this uh, team. They're not trying to build a smaller Undead Labs. They're not trying to build a smaller uh, Compulsion Games or anything like that. This is obviously supposed to be, 
a higher tier developer, more in line with the Coalition, more in line with Bethesda Game Studios, more in line with 343, more in line with Playground Games, more in line with Rare. They're trying to build one of those premier top tier developers in the Xbox stable of, of, of devs. And, and that's that's just a fact. You know, whether whether they were trying to be a cut above them all the others by calling it quadruple A or whether they're just trying to build another studio of that ilk, you know, that we can argue about that. But I think, you know, just with a little more clarity and just to be a little more just uh, even and neutral, it seems like that's what the real promise to consumers has been this whole time is that we're just building a really high quality game developer and we're hoping this location will attract the talent, but they never promised us this is going to be anything more than this. So what does all this matter? Because these quadruple A or top tier, when you think of the absolute premier developers in games, you think of Rockstar, you think of Naughty Dog, right? You think of these kinds of developers. They outsource tons and tons of work to other companies to make Grand Theft Auto, to make The Last of Us and shit like that, of course. But you never heard of a story where it's like, oh yeah, Rockstar is just outsourcing some work to, um, Rockstar has just decided to outsource uh, some work to uh, People Can Fly, the guys that make Outriders, because they just need a little help on the next Grand Theft Auto. Oh, yeah, uh, you know, Naughty Dog, they're working on that new Last of Us game, but they just need a little bit of help, so they did, They looked outside of the Sony ecosystem, and they just uh, outsourced a little bit of help um, from Epic Games because they just need a, a hand here in developing this next um, this next Last of Us game. It's like, no, you've never heard of that because that's just weird. It's unprecedented. So, again, I'm not calling this as a bad thing, but... It, it initially hits a little bit as concerning, right? Just because it's new, it's different. And maybe in a post-COVID world, this is where, where we're having more work from home and we're seeing more and more things change in the games industry. And as, as Game Pass becomes more commonplace and changes the way games are made and consumed, maybe we're starting to see the beginning shift in tides where the way games are also made is starting to change a lot. So this might seem weird today in September 2021, but maybe in three or four years or five years from now, this might be commonplace. We might see other developers do this. This might start to be a thing that actually makes sense. This might be a really smart way of using resources. We might see this stuff happen more often where someone goes, oh, well, we have a great relationship with this developer, this publisher. Um, one of our teams needs some extra staffing and some extra help on a game they're making. And this team just wrapped up on a project and they're kind of in between projects and have some extra staff and extra hands right now to go around. So temporarily we've acquired we temporarily we've brought on this team this group of people from this team owned by this publisher to help on this game by this publisher for this platform whatever the case may be this might just be a really smart way this might be a spearheaded move right this might be xbox and the initiative looking and reading the tea leaves and doing something that's actually really really pioneering and really innovative in a way that really helps provide work and keep things effective and efficient for publishers and developers unlike anything we've ever seen before that's really hard for me to speak to because i'm an xbox fan i'm happy to talk about the news each and every week but i don't work in the industry i've never worked in a game developer uh, i've never worked at a game publisher i've never i don't know anything so i can't offer you anything but pure speculation but that is one possible way to look at this and i believe a more optimistic point of view the other less optimistic way to look at this is 
we've been misled. This is bad news. This is the initiative being in a state of kind of disarray. COVID's fucked them up. Some leadership has shifted around has fucked them up. They're understaffed. They don't know what they're doing. They're kind of committed to this uh, perfect dark thing now, where or married to it rather, but they're not entirely sure about it. And now it's just this project that they have to shit or get off the pot with, and they're just bringing it help so they can kind of make the game happen and get away from it so they can move on to the next thing. Who knows? It, that, that could be a possibility. I think that's lot less likely to be the case personally but that is a possibility either way it just sounds a little disappointing at first because i don't know think about it like this like you you just don't expect that like when when you play so here's a perfect example today i was on twitter and i saw a video of someone showing that there's a scene in last of us part two right last was part two a game that people are really divided on i personally was disappointed by it but there's no denying that last of us part two from a visual standpoint from an animation standpoint from an art direction standpoint from a polish standpoint from a game design standpoint from a acting standpoint from a just pure triple a next level video game perspective the last of us part two is an absolute masterclass. there are pretty much no games out there that look as stunning that work as stunning that are that impressive that technically just awe-inspiring of a video game, of an interactive video game. Very few things come close to The Last of Us Part Two. Say what you will about whether or not you liked the game. What I just said about The Last of Us Part Two is kind of an objective truth. It is just that much of an impressive piece of work that's been put out into the world. And when people play games like Last of Us Part Two, they... I was watching this Twitter clip, which is from this, this part early on in the game where you're doing this puzzle with rope. And this is some really amazing and impressive physics stuff where the character can pick up the rope and pull it down from this ledge and move it into a building and wrap it around a pillar and pull it out the door. And so that, like, I I forget what the puzzle is, but you're just trying to, like, pull this rope and tie it around something to kind of change the weight distribution on some platform or something like that. I forget forget the point of it. But the the reason why this, this scene is so talked about and so notable is because the animation that goes into it and the physics and the way this object interaction works, like you don't even have to be a game developer to understand this. The technical marvel that is this this mechanic and this puzzle and this interactive moment in the game is mind-blowing. It is something that would be so incredibly hard to develop. It's so incredibly obtuse and technical and intricate. And most games would never have... like. I don't know. Like you think about most games, it's like if they introduce a fun, unique puzzle or mechanic or something like that, it's like something that you use continuously throughout the game because they had to design and develop this mechanic and then they had to design the gameplay around this mechanic. And usually it's like, this is a mechanic, which is a main thing you do repeatedly throughout the game, period. The Last of Us Part Two. this is a thing that was so incredibly hard to design, so incredibly hard to pull off, so intricately done in the animation, the way it works, and the polish, and the fact that this rope isn't just, like, glitching through buildings and walls and shit constantly is mind-blowingly impressive. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that's the kind of thing we expect to see out of a quote-unquote quadruple-A studio or the top-tier game developers. So... I know it sounds like a really silly thing to bring up, right? It's like you're talking about this example of rope in The Last of Us Part 2 and how it's really impressive the way this rope interacts with the world. But just go watch a clip of it. Watch the way the character in the game, Ellie, uh, interacts. The way she animates. Like if you pull the cord and it's like, it's like it, it gets cut loose around the corner or something. The way like her hair moves and the way her head turns and looks and the way her arms kind of like jolt as she gets jerked back and everything. And you just see the way she naturally reacts and animates and everything. And you look at that and you're like, 
This whole scene, this little tiny puzzle that takes five minutes of this overall 20-hour game, the fact that this little thing exists and is so polished and so intricately detailed tells you they worked months on this. There are animators and art designers who worked months and months on this tiny fucking little five-minute section of the game to make this happen, and it's a mind-blowing masterpiece just in terms of game design and art direction and animation and, and next-gen, just, just game design and visual design. And the reason I bring that up is because that's when you talk about a studio like the initiative and the way they've been promised and build, that's what I'm expecting is I'm expecting that level developer, not necessarily where I play the game and say that was the most fun game I've ever played, or that was the most groundbreaking game I've ever played. But I'm talking about a kind of game where you play it and you go, the amount of money and talent and time they had to sit there and flesh out this game and this experience is so incredibly impressive that nothing else comes close. You might say, you might come away saying, yeah, but Halo's a better first-person shooter than Perfect Dark, or yeah, but Splinter Cell's a better uh, stealth action game than, than Perfect Dark. Whatever, that might be true. You might think that. That's fine. But whatever I see from the initiative based on the way they've been built, I expect it to be a, a, a moment like what I just explained in Last of Us Part Two, where you go, regardless of how good it is, where it's like Red Dead Redemption 2 or where it's like Last of Us Part 2, where you go, I just can't even fathom how there are artists and directors and writers and animators who are so incredibly talented and gifted and capable that a section, a tiny sliver, a section of the game that comes and goes in a matter of five minutes can exist in this game the way it does. And not many games can pull it off because that stuff costs a lot of money. And that stuff can cost, require a lot of talent and a lot of time that most studios just can't afford to give. And so that's the thing, that's that's where the apprehension comes from, is the initiative, whether it truly was meant to be this way or if the story just got away from itself, the initiative was kind of always understood to be a team of this caliber. So the reason why it's kind of concerning or just odd to think about someone like Crystal Dynamics coming into the project isn't because Crystal Dynamics isn't a capable developer. Crystal Dynamics is great. Rise of the Tomb Raider, the 2015 Tomb Raider game, I think that's the best Uncharted game ever made. I've said that a million times. I, I, it's better than the 2013 game. It's better than the 2018 one that IDOS did. It's better than any of the four Uncharted games. I think 2015's Rise of the Tomb Raider is phenomenal. It is visually stunning. It is well-acted, well-written, very fun to play throughout. And most, most importantly, it is significantly better paced and more fun than any of the Uncharted games. It is a game, but it doesn't compromise in the storytelling and the character building and the acting and the visuals. It is such a good game. So props to Crystal Dynamics. I've never played Marvel's Avengers, so I can't speak to that, but we all know kind of what the narrative surrounding that game is. I've never played that game before, so I can only speak to what I have played. But Crystal Dynamics is a very talented developer. They are a very capable developer, but I don't, it just, it, it is concerning or there's something to it to think about Crystal Dynamics and what they can do, the initiative and what they are, you know, we don't know what they can do because they haven't made a game yet, but what they're supposed to be, you know, this top quality, top tier developer, and to think how you can mesh those two things together and get the, pro the kind of thing that Rockstar gave you with Red Dead Redemption 2, or get the thing that Naughty Dog gave you with The Last of Us Part 2. And again, Rockstar and Naughty Dog definitely had support teams helping them make those games. No problem. All right, no doubt about it, right? But when you take a full-fledged developer like Crystal Dynamics and a full-fledged developer like The Initiative and you push them together, there's like a confliction of like direction and artistic direction and um, 
and vision and, and, and work culture. And I guess that's the concern, right? Is like you can outsource a team to be like, hey, we need someone who specializes in this mocap thing and we need we need to outsource to a team that can help us with this. Or like, hey, we need to hire a team that's really good at like um, driving mechanics because there's this portion in the game where Joanna Dark uh, drives a car and we need that to be like fine-tuned. So we outsource that and we got some teams to help us with that, right? Those can all be things, right? But to think of Crystal Dynamics ostensibly just co-developing the game alongside the initiative, that's not like, hey, we need this team that specializes in this aspect to help us with this aspect of our game. This sounds like, hey, we we need like literally someone to come join us and do 50-50, you know? And that's the concern is it's like, well, that's great. Maybe you guys make a great game together. There's, you know, I'm not doubting that. But when you mesh two teams together like that, doesn't that kind of erase the corporate culture, like the the the, the team culture, right? And that's why when you play an Insomniac game, it feels like an Insomniac game. And when you play a Rockstar game, it feels like a Rockstar game. And when you play a, 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 um, a, a Dog game, it feels like a Dog game, right? Because... They, there, is a, there is a culture at that studio around the kinds of games they make, what people expect from them, what they can do. And obviously people come and go at these studios all the time. The staffing changes. The people who made Halo 1 are not the people that made Halo 5. And obviously different developers, that's a bad example. But you know, you know what I mean? Over time, the, the, the staffing and the culture evolves and changes. There's no doubt about that. But that being said, I can't help but think that... The initiative might be somewhat, I don't want to say held back, but maybe stifled, right? Their ability to 100% capitalize on their creative vision might be somewhat stifled by having to work hand-in-hand 50-50 with a completely separate full-fledged developer that has their own work culture, their own creative vision, sorry, their own creative vision, and their own attitude about how they approach the game. Now, obviously, this is the initiative's game. They're directing it. They're leading it. This is their project. They pr- there's no way in hell they have all of Crystal Dynamics. They have a portion of Crystal Dynamics helping them with this game. And no one said it was 50-50, so that's an assumption on my end. So in all fairness, but again, I just want to say that is, for me, I think for people like myself, that is where the apprehension comes from, is this idea that's like, well, isn't that too many cooks in the kitchen? Isn't that a clash of too many cultures, right? I don't know. It's like, I, I just can't see how one doesn't have a big enough impact on the other to where it doesn't drastically change things. And I'm not even saying necessarily for good or for worse. Maybe this is a great thing. Maybe if the initiative made Perfect Dark alone, it would suck. And with Crystal Dynamics together, they're able to yin and yang each other to where they together they make a phenomenal game. Who knows? I don't fucking know. Maybe this is nothing but good news. But the last thing I'll say about this is the only reason why I hang on to any tenant, any, any slight bit of why this might be potentially bad news is because they announced this on a Thursday night after a big Nintendo Direct that had everyone talking about the Mario movie uh, um, casting, which, by the way, Chris Pratt is so cool, according to Nintendo. Um, they did it right after that and right as a Halo Infinite weekend test flight was launching. So, listen, companies aren't stupid. They do this shit all the time intentionally. Um, this is this is very much a thing of, like, if you have bad news to get out of the way, you want to you wanna bury it. So... You know the 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 initiative's Twitter account almost never tweets, yet they tw- this 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 story was told in a tweet. It wasn't an Xbox Wire blog post, 
It wasn't during an E3 press conference or a Gamescom press conference or a Tokyo Game Show press conference where Paris came out and, and put on sunglasses and started telling the Japanese market about Microsoft Flight Simulator for four hours. It wasn't some fucking cool flash event. They buried it in a tweet from a developer that almost never says anything on a Thursday night after a massively successful Nintendo Direct and right as a Halo Infinite test flight was beginning. To me, that reads as like, we have news that's going to be, whether or not it's good or bad, is going to be controversial. People are going to have opinions on this news. Let's go ahead and bury it. And that's what it read to me. A Thursday night is unusual. When Xbox has big news, usually we get that on like a Friday morning or a Tuesday afternoon or something. A Thursday night right after big news from Nintendo and right before big, a big weekend for Halo, sounds like bearing the news to me. So that's the last thing. That's my last hang-up on this. But I'm trying to be optimistic. Again, this is a game I don't think we're seeing for another four years anyway. Uh, so I have like almost no expectation at this point. I just kind of don't want to hear from or see the initiative for a few years because it's kind of annoying having to think about them constantly while knowing full well that this is just another studio that Microsoft prematurely announced and another game with Perfect Dark that they just prematurely announced. And the fact that we're not going to be playing this game until I'm probably 30 years old just has me think, you know what? I'm just going to try to remain optimistic, but also forget about this. So I will end it with this. I think of all the things I proposed, of all the things I suggested and talked about here, the most likely is that this is an example of Xbox is in a position where, or the initiative is in a position where they need some extra help on this game. They need some extra team. Remember, th this is another thing I completely forgot about the initiative before these stories start resurfacing as a result of all the controversy surrounding the story, which is that the initiative is a relatively small team for a AAA studio. And they've said that they want to try to stay lean and, and nimble, which I kind of respect, actually. So there is the potential that what they're trying to do is keep a core team of really skilled veterans who kind of take on for hire talent on a project by project basis. So this might be right in line with what the initiative was always supposed to be about. But I will I'll just try to end it with this positive thing that I said earlier. This is the uh, uh, the potential hope, right, is that. Crystal Dynamics just finished up with Marvel's Avengers. They have half the team working on DLC and extended content for that game. And they have another half of the team that's like, hey, we're kind of in between projects. We don't have much to do right now. We're trying not to get laid off following the, the poor release of Avengers and the fact that we're not actively working on something right now. And Microsoft is like, hey, we need people to come work at our team at the initiative and help out with this project. And our head developer says, hey, I know you guys. I used to work with you guys. How about you come over here and help us work on Perfect Dark? And Microsoft goes over to Square Enix, the publisher uh, that owns uh, Crystal Dynamics, and says, hey, we're willing to pay you some money if you'll let us borrow your guys for a couple of years. And they go, hey, works for us. Helps make some of this money back. And everyone wins. You guys get the team you need for your game on a project-by-project -project basis. Hey, this is a... This is a this is a perfect scenario. This is a, a high tide all boats kind of everyone wins scenario. So I'm going to choose to believe that that is the scenario we're looking at. It is more optimistic. It is more positive. And honestly, it's all just conjecture and speculation until we really know more. So why not just try to have a slightly better outlook on it, right? So that is it for that story for now. But our next story kind of ties into this a little bit, or at least it can. It's related to it at the very least. Let's let's get in. So again. For Windows Central. Marvel's Avengers is launching into Xbox Game Pass on September 30th, so the day you're listening to this podcast or the day it goes live. Microsoft announced this on the Xbox Wire on Tuesday. Mm, notice how this got announced on Xbox Wire? Told you. All right, this includes all the free content added to the game so far, including the War for Wakanda, which just uh, released a few months ago. 
the expansion introduces new story missions featuring Black Panther. In addition to being available on Game Pass for console, Marvel's Avengers is coming to Game Pass for PC and cloud gaming. So if you prefer, if you prefer to play on your computer or to stream on your mobile device, you aren't being left out. Do be aware, though, that, that this doesn't include any extra cosmetics like the Avengers Endgame-inspired outfits. So if you want those, you need to buy them separately or to use them while playing the game through Game Pass. Publisher Square Enix shared a roadmap of the game's future content through the end of 2021, which includes the first ever raid for Marvel's Avengers featuring Black Panther's foe, Claw. Spider-Man is also coming to the game, although he is exclusive to PlayStation platforms, so fuck us. And then lastly, Crystal Dynamics, lead developer, uh, on is the lead developer on Marvel's Avengers and is also, as we just learned, assisting the initiative on their upcoming re- reboot of Perfect Dark. So let's open the can of worms right back, right back again. Okay, I, I want to talk about these things separate because I feel like they're both big enough that they warrant their own discussions, and that's why I didn't read all of it together and just talk. It, it was already big enough to talk about the last story on its own, you know. So I, I wanted to compartmentalize this a little bit. But now that we have this as well, let's bring it all back up, right? So, so now we go again back into this. So again, overwhelmed. There's many aspects we can attack this from. But the first thing I want to say is, remember when Outriders came to Game Pass earlier this year? Outriders was the game from People Can Fly that was being published by Square Enix that was also a games-as-a-service type game, um, kind of like Marvel's Avengers. That game was not looking hot. It didn't look like it was going to do very well. So Square Enix had the savvy idea to work with Xbox and get the game into Game Pass. And that drummed up a lot of hype and a lot of a lot of excitement, and and probably got a lot of players in the door that otherwise wouldn't have noticed or cared about this game, right? And we we then learned that apparently Outriders didn't end up doing too well, or at least not well enough that that uh, people can fly really got paid too well from from Square Enix. So take that for what you will. But we were also led to believe that Outriders was actually pretty successful for Game Pass. And maybe to some extent for Square Enix, maybe maybe Square Enix feels like they did better by putting that game in the Game Pass than they would have had they just let it come out for sixty bucks um, for purchase only. So I don't know, but keep that in mind that that all happened earlier this year, right? Now we see the same publisher, Square Enix, doing a similar thing with the same style of game, a games as a service live content type game, although this one's a little more of a live service game than Outriders was. The difference is this game has already been out for a year. This game has been out on the market for a full fucking year and is now coming into Game Pass. It's been cut in price a million times. I've seen this game on sale for 30 bucks constantly, but it's never been free, or it's not free with Game Pass, but it's never been included in a subscription service or free to play, rather. So this is new. As you remember, Marvel's Avengers severely underperformed when it came out. It, it sold millions of copies, but this game's been in development forever, and it's using a very, very expensive Avengers license. And remember, it's not a one-time license. You know, Square Enix is paying on this license every time they add DLC, every time people buy a, a Iron Man skin or a Spider-Man outfit or whatever for their character. Like, this, this thing costs money lots and lots of money to run the servers it's a live service game to add more content to keep the developers working on it to keep marvel and disney paid for the license all this shit this was a very expensive game a very expensive game to market all of this shit and the game as we know has underperformed you can look at steam's numbers this game does significantly worse than most other games as a service type games you can look at just sales numbers in general uh, compared to other games like the division and Sea of Thieves, and Destiny, and other things like that. Marvel's Avengers, despite having the Marvel's Avengers IP, severely underperforms. So that is something to keep in, in, in consideration. So at this point, if you're Square Enix, you might be saying, well, what, what can we do to try and salvage this game? 
they should go the route of of Destiny and try to make it free to play. So the way I read this was Square Enix was thinking, okay, clearly, you know, Black Panther content that should have been huge for us all the all this time later. The game's still not really growing. It's kind of stagnated. It's not doing too well. What can we do? And I think they came up with this idea of Hey, our, our friends over at Xbox, we worked with them on Outriders. We got that game into Game Pass. This is a games as a service. Maybe if we get this into Game Pass, you know, Destiny's in Game Pass. Maybe if we get this into Game Pass, it will get a whole a whole lot of new players playing our game, you know? And that's how these games as a service games work and take off. Is It's about getting a massive install base and then finding the whales in that pool of players. It's not about getting a bunch of people to buy the game for $60 and then hoping they all stick around. This is what we've learned about how these games work. So I think what their, their thought is, let's not make it free-to-play just yet. Let's get it into Game Pass, see if that adds a massive player boost to the game, which of course it will at first, but see if people stick around from that. You know, they see how good the game is. They see how much we've added to it, the the Wakanda DLC, all that shit, and see if people want to stick around and then maybe pay to buy the game or it injects a new life into this game. And then we can get people to buy it and buy the DLC and buy the cosmetics and we'll be all good, okay? If that doesn't work after three months or whatever contract they have with Microsoft, we'll pull the you know we'll pull the game out of Game Pass and then make it free to play for everyone, and then really work on retooling the the cosmetic and DLC system so that we can monetize the game in other ways. My initial guess is that that is what Square Enix is thinking. Is this is a, a kind of a second attempt to revitalize this game? Listen, we've seen this happen before. Final Fantasy XIV famously did not do well when it launched, and then its first big expansion, they were able to kind of reinvent everything about the game, and eventually that game ended up taking off and being a massive success. So it is possible, and that game was the Final Fantasy MMO, Final Fantasy XIV. So it, it's possible that that's what happens here. And Square Enix is just looking for, I think, a way to kind of soft relaunch this, to get it in front of a new audience, to get a new market for it, and to try salvage what they built here before before it's just complete done and they have to write off all this fucking money that they spent on this you know they, they don't want this to be their anthem they want this to be their destiny let's put it that way so that's the first thing but we can't ignore the fact that marvel's avengers was made by crystal dynamics and published by square square enix which is the same series of people we're just talking about with the initiative and perfect dark and all of that so this could be a broader part, or a, a, another piece to this broader story of Xbox working with with Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix, where it's like, hey, Microsoft came over to them and was like, uh, hey, we want to, um, we want to uh, borrow. So listen, Microsoft could maybe Phil Spencer went over to Square Enix and said, hey, my guy Daryl over at the Initiative, who you know him, he used to work for you guys says that uh, your team's really great. We need we need some extra men to work on our Perfect Dark project. And we know you guys are in between projects and you've got some guys available. We want to basically contract out some of your team at uh, Crystal Dynamics. And Square Enix is like, that's cool. You pay to have them. We're open to that. But we scratch your back, you scratch our back. So here's what we need you to do for us. They're like, we want to test out putting Marvel's Avengers in the Game Pass to see if we can get a new audience in front of it. But... Um, you got to pay us like a shit ton of money to get this game in there. Like you got to give us like a really pretty penny and top billing and top marketing, a, a, a huge push about getting this game in the game pass as a result of us letting you use our, our talent to help work on your game. And maybe Microsoft was like, okay, fair enough. We'll help really push uh, this game in the game pass and try to make a big, you know, beat the drum and make a big deal out of it. And so I think there might be, because these stories happen right next to each other. I, I, it cannot be purely coincidental. There has to be some deal at work here where it's like, 
one team wanted something and the other team was like, okay, but also this. Because there's a lot of Xbox and Square Enix playing buddy-buddy from a publisher level and now the initiative and Crystal Dynamics buddying it up from a developer level. So I think that's all worth noting here, right? And I know a lot of people want to keep talking about Xbox potentially buying Square Enix or Xbox potentially buying Crystal Dynamics. I'm a lot more hesitant about that, but we did get a write-in about it, so I do want to read that. Eric Masson wrote in about this particular topic and said, Hey, Jesse, I have a theory. Xbox uh, Xbox brought on Crystal Dynamics to help the initiative, and now the Avengers, another Crystal Dynamics game, is coming to Game Pass. To me, that sounds a lot like the beginning of an acquisition from Xbox who are actively looking for more studios. But the what if Xbox answered the call... Uh, but what if Xbox answered the call for a superhero IP by acquiring the rights to Avengers along with Crystal Dynamics? Not only that, but what if Xbox acquired the rights to each individual Avengers character? We could get a Hulk game, an Iron Man game, a Captain America game. Sony, er, Sorry for the long tinfoil hat theory, but I hope I explained it well. Cheers, bud. No, Eric, I think this is explained pretty well, and I don't think that's a... I, I want to be clear about this. I don't think that's a bad theory. In fact, I'm... Yeah, I, I don't think it's any better or worse than my theories that I presented here so far. Um, but personally, I just don't believe that's what's going on. I don't think Square Enix is looking to offload Crystal Dynamics, first of all. And I don't think... I don't see how this contract works. Where, like, Xbox would want to buy Crystal Dynamics from Square Enix and then take the Avengers IP with it because then that gets Disney involved and it's a whole messy legality battle of how does this all work, transferring all these staff and this team and this IP and all these different hands that are all over all these different aspects and kind of making that work. So that's why I tend to not think that's a possibility just because of how messy it is. But of course, crazier things have happened. Disney owns National Geographic now. The world is ending. The rainforest is on fire. Fuck us all. Um... So there's that, but more importantly, this is the thing is, I don't think it would be smart for Xbox to try to acquire the people responsible for the Avengers game that didn't meet expectations, and then to try and take that as their own and be like, okay, now we're going to spin off and start working on all these things as their own game. Because the, the reality of it is, now there's kind of bad blood associated with Crystal Dynamics Avengers game. And I think if you're Xbox... Yes, you you want some of that sweet, sweet Marvel money. You want some of that Marvel IP in your first party. You want people to be excited about your Marvel game the way people are excited about Sony's Spider-Man game. But I don't think this is the way you go about getting it because it costs a lot, a lot of money. It's very technical. There's a lot of legalities involved with it. And at the end of the day, you're left with a tainted version of an otherwise very popular IP. So that's my apprehension. I I can see them being like, okay, well, what we want to do is we want to get Crystal Dynamics, and we're not not trying to make the Avengers, but what we're going to do is we're going to get Crystal Dynamics and have them make a single-player, one-off Iron Man game or a single-player, one-off Captain America game. I, yeah, I, I get what you mean, and that's a cool idea, and I'm sure there, I'm sure Crystal Dynamics is more than up to the task, right? It's not that, you know, I've never played it, but apparently from what I hear, it's not that Avengers is a bad game. It's that no one wanted this weirdly handled co-op games-as-a-service Marvel game. They wanted a kick-ass, single-player, story-driven, one-off kind of experience, and that Marvel's Avengers is actually at its best when it's kind of leaning into that more than when it's being a live games as a service type game. Remember, Crystal Dynamics, very capable developer. This is just kind of an off game for them. So I think there's some merit to what you're saying, Eric, and I, I like that. I like where you're coming from. I just don't see that so much being the case, or at least I, I hope it isn't. I, I really, 
I ranted about this like crazy on the on on the stream the other night, and actually I'm gonna cut out that portion of the stream and edit it up and uh, put it on my YouTube channel because I think it was a pretty fun rant. Um, the chat seemed very engaged in it, but I I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on Microsoft and their never-ending aggression to buy up the whole fucking industry, and. I think this is a step too far. This like potentially buying 2K or or Square Enix or Activision shit or whatever it is that people are talking about. That's all too far. And I know you're just talking about one team Square Enix owns, not all of Square Enix. But I think Xbox would be smart to stop, to focus on what they have right now and to stop buying up everything. And if you're going to buy up everything, be very careful and calculate about it. Buy smaller teams. Buy the things you need, not everything that's on the market, you know? So I don't know. I'm excited to actually give this a try. I've always wanted to play this game, and I, I will play it now that it's on Game Pass. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about this more and more. But there's just so much happening here with Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix and Xbox and the Initiative and Game Pass and acquisitions. And there's just so much to think about and talk about and chew on. I'm excited to hear what you guys think. Please comment in about all of what we've talked about so far in the news. Very, very intriguing stuff. But let's move on because we've... We've lingered on this for far too long. We need to move on to the rest of the show. Lucky for you guys, there's not too much more in the news, but next up, Windows Central reports that Netflix is acquiring Night School Studios, developer of the 2016 narrative adventure game Oxenfree, and the upcoming sequel, Oxenfree 2. They also made that, um, what was that devil game? I, I played it a few years ago. It came out in 2019. Where you outdrink the devil? I can't believe I fucking forgot the name. That game was awesome. I really liked it. Anyway, in a statement, Night School Studios explained that this came about as a result of many discussions the team where uh, gaming is headed, while also knowing that the developer will continue to work on Oxenfree 2, as previously announced. Our exploration and narrative gameplay and Netflix's track record of supporting diverse storytellers was such a natural pairing. It feels like both teams came to this conclusion instinctively. Night School Studios co-founded co-founder Sean Crackle explains. As part of the announcement, Netflix shared that video games like movies and TV shows will be included as part of Netflix's subscription with no ads or in-app purchases. Netflix officially confirmed earlier in 2021 that they would be expanding into video games, though things were still in the early stages. Netflix VP of Game Development, Mike Verdu, says, quote, we'll continue working with developers around the world on hiring the best talent in the industry to deliver great collections of exclusive games designed for every kind of game gamer and every level of player so that was the official quote now this is we we knew this was coming in some form or fashion just we didn't know who the developer would be right and there will be many more developers of course but this is this is the first batch right and this is uh this is quite an interesting one right i think this makes sense oxen freeze developer um uh night school studio these guys are very narrative driven their games are all more narrative driven than they are gameplay focused. So I think this is one of the more uh, natural kind of fits for Netflix, right? A, a, a platform that's all about TV and movies and storytelling, right? So the thing is, this is going to continue to grow and be a thing. I have more faith. Let me just put this on the record now. I have more faith in Netflix aggressively getting into game streaming than I do about Amazon or Google, so, I mean, in the order, I would say the most, the, the thing I see as a bigger threat is going to be in order. Netflix, then Amazon, then Google Stadia. I think Google Stadia is already pretty much dead. But, so th this is something I think that's particularly, particularly important to keep an eye on. Because at the end of the day, I think this is going to be xCloud's biggest competitor. Because yes, Google and Amazon, they have all the money in the world. They're way more uh, powerful than Netflix, right? 
But what does Netflix have that the others don't? Netflix is exclusively a streaming content service. No one has as much experience, as much know-how, and as much infrastructure to build something like a Google Stadia, to build something like an X, uh, Project X Cloud the way Netflix has it. And you might be saying, uh, Jesse, you fucking idiot. Uh, Google Stadia, uh, those guys own, you know, you know who Google owns? YouTube, you fucking dumb bitch. And I'd say, yeah, but Google is worse than Microsoft when it comes to giving up on everything they try. I expected them to do a half-assed job and then fail and cut the cord on that project. And we're almost there. That's kind of what they're doing right now. So there's that. But um, Netflix, I think, they are more aggressive. I think they're willing to stick it out longer and longer. I think their their shareholders are more interested in seeing them expand into, into new markets to diversify more and more as we see things like Disney Plus uh, become more and more successful, as we see HBO Max become a force to be reckoned with. I think Netflix is going to feel the pressure to diversify and get into this industry in new ways. And so Netflix getting into gaming, I think, is going to be a very legitimate thing. I think we'll see a day not too far from now where you will be able to boot up Netflix on your PlayStation or your Xbox and use that controller to play a game that you're streaming from Netflix or connect a controller to your smart TV or connect a controller to your phone or your computer or whatever device you're streaming Netflix from and play games through Netflix. I think we're going to get to that point. We've seen Netflix dabble in game-like things with like that interactive Minecraft show um, for the longest time now. They've been doing this on and off, and they are clearly eager and hungry to do this, so... This is a serious developer. This is a big, highly regarded uh, indie team. And I think they're kind of a perfect way to get your feet wet because they work on 2D, heavily narrative-driven, linear story games. And I think that is a really great way to get the Netflix audience to try to play a game on Netflix, right? Don't give them fucking Halo Infinite. Don't give them a game where it's like all mechanics-based and gameplay-based and, you know, a game of, like, skill and outwitting your opponent and, out, and outperforming your opponent, uh, your opponent. That's 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 dumb. That's not how you penetrate the Netflix market. You get the Netflix market by giving them games that are easy to understand, easy to pick up and play, super accessible, and very engrossing and story-driven, like the things people come to Netflix for. The shows and the movies that offer those, those experiences and stories that people, you know, look to come to for entertainment. So... I think this is a great acquisition. I think this is step one of of something that is going to become something much greater. And I think we're going to continue to have to keep an eye out on this because as we get further and further away from um, possibly Amazon Luna and definitely Google Stadia, I think we're going to see Netflix become potentially the biggest threat or competitor to uh, Project X Cloud. So. Definitely want to keep an eye on that. And then our last story of the day comes from gamesindustry.biz, who writes, People Can Fly today announced a change in strategy that will see it again, uh, will, so, sorry, that will see it begin to branch out into AA games and new genres alongside its AAA shooter efforts. The Outrider Studio said that AA games would have high would have high quality comparable to its previous titles, but would be characterized by a shooter development time, lower budget, and smaller scope. The company also said that it will be looking to work with new teams or possibly acquire new studios specifically to work on those titles with the goal of releasing at least one game each year, beginning in 2024. People Can Fly already have several global studios after 
After April's acquisition of Chicago-based Phosphor Studios, the company emphasized that their new strategy will be pursued in addition to its previous one, with the company working on multiple AAA games in parallel. So this is weird. I feel like People Can Fly are becoming basically like Remedy, where like they've somehow, despite releasing these games where people are like, oh, they kind of underperformed, are somehow managing to maintain this um, this uh, independence and to expand and diversify and get into releasing more games at a steady clip so that they can take more risks and afford to have a flop here or there because that way it's not all eggs in one basket type of scenario. So this says a little bit about how Outriders did that. Apparently they're doing well enough that they continue to acquire and they continue to grow and do new things. But also we see this kind of new tier developer popping up where it's these (laughs) these long-standing developers that don't want to that don't want to partner up uh, permanently with a publisher and don't want to be acquired they want to do their thing but they're looking for ways to put out more games at a faster clip do some smaller games do some bigger games and kind of diversify their portfolio so they can continue to exist in an independent fashion while also develop delivering more games and, and giving themselves more leeway to kind of experiment and do shit so I, I love this. I'm, I'm happy to see People Can Fly continue to do their thing. And honestly, the idea of People Can Fly trying to do these like double A kind of shooters and stuff like that makes me so happy because I miss that tier game. I want more games like like play like uh, like uh, Mercenaries and Mercenaries 2 and shit like that. And I, I want to see these like fun, goofy, campy, budgety, but still well put together kind of double A Video games, especially from awesome, long-standing uh, developers that I respect, like People Can Fly. So this is actually really exciting news, in my opinion. But um, we'll have to keep an eye on that and see how that evolves. Now, that's going to do it for all of our big stories of the week. Now, with that out of the way, let's jump into our important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions, of which we have a few. VGC reports that Microsoft has started publicly testing xCloud on console, saying that the feature, which will enable Xbox One users to play many Series X and X exclusive games like Flight Simulator, is now available for tests uh, by a random subset of Alpha Skip Ahead Ring and Alpha Xbox Insiders. It allows Game Pass titles without downloading to be played, so you can jump into a multiplayer session with friends for games that aren't even installed on your console yet. Xbox Wire notes that starting this week, gamers will be able, or sorry, that compatibility with Dolby Vision enabled TVs will uh, will be fully will be fully rolled out to Xbox Series X and S, so players can enable Dolby Vision. With it, that, epic worlds such as lush rainforests, neon futuristic cities will be brought to life with more vivid color. Dolby Vision deepens your immersion and the experience by enabling you to see enemy enemy hidings in the sh- enemies hiding in the shadows or spots with hidden clues through expanded contrast and better clarity on both brightness and dark scenes. Next, Windows Central reports that DICE have announced on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, that the open beta for Battlefield 2042 will begin on October 8th, just next week. In line with the dev- with the dates that were recently leaked, anyone who pre-ordered the game will get early access to the beta and will be able to start playing on October 6th, two days before everyone else. While the list of maps included... Um, while there's a list of maps included at launch for the game, the beta will instead focus on the orbital map, giving players access to the conquest mode amid four specialists. And then next, Windows Central reports that Disco Elysium, the critically acclaimed sprawling open-world detective RPG that is filled with countless choices and paths, is finally coming to Series X and S, Xbox One, and in, in the form of its Final Cut edition. The 
which will release on October 12th, so stay tuned for that. And then IGN reports that the Life is Strange Remastered Collection, which includes the first two installments of the game with enhanced visuals and animations, we already knew that it was delayed, but now we know that it will officially be releasing on February 1st on all major platforms, 2022, so quite a bit of a delay there. The game was supposed to release on September 30th, but in August it was announced that it was going to be delayed because COVID and all that other stuff. And then lastly, Xbox Wire notes that for the first time you can play Castlevania Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, Aria of Sorrow, and Dracula X on Xbox One, Series X, and S in the Castlevania Advanced Collection. You've never seen the beloved Castlevania titles like this before, lovingly remastered by Konami and M2. The updated version of these critically acclaimed titles brings incredibly new features, incredible new features, and you can play the American, European, or Japanese release of each title as they are all included in the Advanced Collection. Available on Xbox One, Series X, and S right now for $19.99. All right, and with that said, we are done with all the news for the week, you guys. Now, as for game releases of the week, I'm not going to go too into them. I'm just kind of paring this down. I probably need to cut this from the show going forward, but we do have a couple couple of notable announcements I want to just throw out there. Harvest Moon One World is out now on Xbox. Insurgency Sandstorm is out now for Series X and S. It's optimized for Series X and S. I believe it's also out for Xbox One. I, I don't know about this game. I'm not very familiar with it, but I've been looking at it. It looks mildly interesting. It kind of reminds me of like those mid-late aughts uh, military shooters like Modern Warfare and shit like that. Kind of interested in playing this, although I understand it's a little more tactical. Hot Wheels Unleashed comes out the day this podcast goes live. Xbox One, Series S, and X optimize the course of the new consoles. I am so excited for this game. I have it pre-downloaded. I cannot wait to get into it. So that's definitely my most anticipated game right now. And then... FIFA 22 comes out October 1st, optimized for the new consoles, of course. Obviously, a big game for obvious reasons. Don't need to get into that. But those are the most notable games coming out this week. And then Games with Gold, uh, we're heading into October, so we got a new month to go over. For October, we've got Arrow, which is available all month long. You can download that for free. Hover, which is available from October 16th to November 15th. Castlevania Harmony of Despair, not the one that's in the collection we just talked about, but the Xbox 360 version, available for the first half of October. And then Resident Evil Code Veronica X is available October 16th through Halloween night, the 31st. Obviously, some Halloween-themed Xbox 360 titles there. Um, so go ahead and download those if you, it, it, well, you haven't already because it's not even October yet. But, you know, you know what I mean. But that's going to do it for our podcast this week, you guys. I appreciate your time. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa for updates on the stream and podcasts and whatnot. Be sure to follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. And then subscribe to the podcast at youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast, rather. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to hearing your comments and thoughts for next week's show. And until next time, power your streams.